The thing with attribution is that it is never going to it is never going to solve all of our problems. Um, and while we while we want to understand and attribute to a specific channel, it is all of those channels working together in a symphony in order to deliver the the prospect to to the front door of the business. Welcome to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look into the before and after some of the world's most effective transformation processes. I'm your host, Paul French. With an ever-evolving tech landscape, stiff competition, and an undeniably changing world, marketers seem to have more to contend with than ever before. If we hope to stay ahead of the competition, looking at the landscape through a critical lens is essential. In this episode, I'm sitting down with someone who knows all about what it takes to use innovative marketing and strong execution to drive growth. Laura Compton, the VP of Growth and Brand Marketing at Ruby. Ruby provides small businesses with the service, products, and analytics they need to manage their customer interactions and deliver exceptional experiences. Laura had plenty of great advice to share about targeting your ideal customer, making data-driven decisions, and navigating the increasingly complex tech stack valuable insights that too many get away from in their marketing efforts. Enjoy the show. Laura, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me, Paul. I'm super excited to be here. So uh, maybe just start and, uh, and just give us a quick view of what does Ruby do? Yeah, for sure. Ruby is a uh, company that provides small businesses with the services, products, and analytics they need to manage their customer interactions and deliver exceptional experiences. We see every call and website chat as an opportunity for our small businesses to grow. And we ensure that every one of those interactions is met with a human that can help the caller. Um, while simultaneously helping our small business owners put their best foot forward in supporting their needs and their business's growth. And so we are, uh, we're both marketing humans. And so I'm going to ask a lot of uh, wonky questions because it's fascinating to me with, with an offering like that, which could be usable for, you know, basically every type of company and every type of market in every type of industry segmentation becomes impossible if you're a marketer. So how have you um, how have you been able to sort of narrow the field, better understand your customers, better understand how, you know, what the journey looks like and, and turn that into growth for Ruby? Yeah, no, that it's a really great question. And to be quite honest, it's it's evolved slightly uh, during the pandemic. Um, so our traditional ideal customer profile, I'll, I'll use ICP in this case, um, is a, a legal customer, a financial services customer, a medical company, a, a small business itself that supports other small businesses, consulting firms and things like that, as well as in the financial services. They've typically, our Ruby customers has typically been in the one to under like 10 to 15 customer size. And throughout the pandemic, we've seen that evolve. We've seen it grow into the 25 to 100 person employee base. And the reason why we have that information and we know that information is because we're constantly looking at our retention related data in order to understand the customer life cycle that is sticking around that we are being able to retain and then using that information to influence our marketing strategy on the acquisition side. My team is actually structured so that I have brand growth and retention marketers all within within our, our marketing team in order to support each one of those businesses. 
And we see it as though if we are acquiring a whole slew of customers that aren't actually converting and sticking around long enough in that in their CLV, that it's basically we're, we're robbing Paul to pay Peter. You know, uh, I, I probably got that uh, that um, saying wrong. But we're, we're seeing it as a situation where we're not necessarily enabling our retention team, our customer success team um, to support the business in, in their best way if we're attracting customers that aren't fitting our, 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 our customer base. And so we're constantly looking at the information, understanding what industries, what sub-industries, what employee size, what lead sources are bringing in customers that are sticking around for 90, 120, three years, five years, and making marketing campaigns and initiatives based around those customers that are sticking with Ruby and understanding the value of Ruby. In addition, we're We're talking to our customers to understand what pain points and what value props are we're solving for um, in order to articulate that information out into the marketplace. And again, attracting the right customers to Ruby from the start rather than doing a spray and pray pray approach to um, gather any and all um, businesses that might need Ruby services. Yeah, there's the, the the there's been an awful lot of companies that have focused on the mid market or on the SMB market that have have driven themselves mad or driven themselves broke trying to get all the customers. The answer is you just need the right customers, right? Correct, exactly, and stay hyper focused on them. And that you know, Paul, I think that that's an interesting point too. Is that not only do we you know know exactly who our ICP is and go after that market and go deep after that market. It doesn't mean that we're not testing and trying to acquire new and making sure that we're constantly growing what our TAM is, what our total adjustable market is. We want to make sure that we're testing in an accurate way. And so if, you know, for instance, education or automotive starts to pop up in our acquisition funnel and then it starts to stay around in our retention funnel, then we're like, hey, Let's go test out, but we're testing in a controlled way so that we can make sure that we're not spending and going broke, um, that we're spending in an effective way, that we're building the right amount of content, that we're not going, you know, and building a hundred pieces of content. We're building maybe 15 very targeted pieces of content to test out that market, see if it's viable for us, and then expand effectively or pull back and test out a new market uh, based off of that the information that we're seeing. And so one of the biggest challenges, and I'll speak, I'm the CMO of a, of a software company, Axway. What is the, how do you break through the noise to get your signal heard, right? We all live on Instagram and LinkedIn and, you know, all the different properties. And there's just no shortage of noise coming at you 24 hours a day. How are you breaking through to get people at least to give you a shot or to to download the right piece of content or consume the right (laughs) blog post? You know, it's kind of interesting because we're working with those small businesses. We're working in, in a lot of cases, we're working with micro SMBs. So we have people that are super strapped for time, like ridiculously strapped for time. And those are the people that we've got to capture the attention of. And so, you know, from, from the research that we've done on our, our ICP, we've uncovered where and how they're listening to 
um, ads, where and how they're consuming information. And a lot of our customers are actually listening to radio during the day. And so we're on uh, a couple of different streaming outlets in order to, you know, be in their ears uh, when they're doing their work, be in their ears subtly um, when they're, you know, on commuting to and from um, their their destinations. Uh, in addition, we partner with the ecosystem that they are leveraging to support their business. So for instance, in our um, in our uh, legal side, we have a number of relationships with bar associations in order to make sure that we're in front of and being heard by those customers. Similar case in point is, is with our plumbing and with our dental uh, industries. We are there at their trade shows in their association newsletters and things like that to be there where they are rather than be there where we want them to be. And so a lot of those traditional like email marketing or, um, you know, Facebook or LinkedIn or things like that aren't necessarily where our, our businesses are or and or aren't where we're spending a lot of our money and time uh, because our customers we've found don't have that that freedom, that luxury to um, be leveraging some of those additional um, uh, uh, channels that marketers traditionally rely on um, because they don't have that time. Yeah, that's the, the old fallacy, right? Communication's a two-way street. You could send it all you want, but if they're not receiving it, it doesn't really matter. Precisely, right? so, um, precisely. So how has is, how is your marketing mix changed over the course of the last three or four years, right? Pre-COVID, through COVID, and then today? Yep, that's a great question. So traditionally, Ruby has been uh, a three-pronged uh, acquisition strategy. We had paid search, we had our serious radio ads, and we've also had a massive referral program. So customers that we're finding out about new customers that we're finding out about us from old or existing customers. And those continue to be great channels for us. However, paid search is very expensive and it's not something um, that you uh, can't have much control over uh, if competitors come in and, and want to, to take advantage of that channel as well like the Googles and the, the Bings of the world, increasing their CPM costs and things like that. It's very volatile, right? Um, so we've done a lot to take back control of our owned and earned channels and really emphasizing those owned channels in order to make them our competitive differentiator. So our website, our association and, and partnership relationships those are things that we have emphasized as well as our ability to create content that goes into those association and byline articles in, in magazines and other publications. And our owned channel, as well as our earned channels are performing quite well for us in order to, again, differentiate that marketing mix on our behalf. On the paid front, uh, we're also differentiating our paid channel. Traditionally, again, I said our paid search was our dominant area, but paid channel has far more to it than just paid search. You've got display ads, you've got syndicates, you've got radio, you've got streaming, you've got a whole slew of additional channels at your fingertips that you can leverage. And we're continuing to optimize and refine that paid channel mix for us as well. And it's, it's a moving target when you think about things like that. And especially, you know, with, with the ICP that you guys have, are, are you seeing that, that the, the more traditional search engine marketing is still the most effective or are, are there other sort of more community centric 
I'm plumbers looking for other plumbers. I'm, I'm certainly lawyers have that. Can stocks doctors have that? How, how do you how do you balance the two? Most definitely. You know, I, it's kind of funny. It's it's one of these industries where you cannot get comfortable. Don't get comfortable or your competition <laughs> will move, you usurp you or your ICP will move around you to some other location. So you definitely have to constantly stay on your toes and be watching your data in order to understand where those movements are happening. With paid search specifically to answer your question on that front, um, it is, it we are seeing a little bit of a, of a light on that paid search channel. And that is part of why we're we're continuing to differentiate it. It is not something that I, I think that, you know, I've thought this for a long time about this paid search channel, to be quite honest, is that it in in a lot of cases, um, it is those those individuals that are in market and ready to buy, and they are clicking on the ad because it is the first thing there. Um, and so while they, you know, while they they understand that they have this need and page search solves for that need by delivering the first um, the first ad to them, these are also customers or prospects that have done a ton of research in order to understand what exactly it is that they need um, and how the, it, it needs to be solved for. And so if we can capture them from a different channel and and allow them to engage with that us in a different channel, that's going to be the the better scenario for them and for us. And so we're really continuing to boost up our referral program. Again, those own channel relationships, uh, the community relationships that you pointed to as well, and making sure that that we're we're in the conversation. And in a lot of cases, we're trying to lead that conversation in advance of when they're actually feeling the need. Um, so trying to help educate them um, before they realize they can't answer all of their calls, they can't answer all of their chats, that they are a growing business that needs this support. And here's the steps and here's when to call in a virtual receptionist, a website chat specialist company um, to support you and your, your growth. You sort of intimated one of the toughest problems of a marketer, whether that's D2C or B2B or B2B2C or however you want to do it. And that's attribution. Right as you start to think about, I, I'm driving them in one place and hoping to capture somewhere else. And how do I consider? So, how do you think of attribution? If it's a single channel, top to bottom, it's easy. But when you when you start to do the way you described it, it gets really, really tough. The thing with attribution is that it is never going to it is never going to solve all of our problems. Um, and while we while we want to understand and attribute to a specific channel, it is all of those channels working together in a symphony in order to deliver the the prospect to to the front door of the business. And so while I look at each individual channel's performance to understand leading indicators of whether that channel is or is not performing, I do not hold any single one of my channels to specific KPIs that they need to deliver to. Other than owned, uh, um, owned is the one channel that I'm trying actively to get to a specific KPI, but that is at the holistic level. Um, and you you hear me in my in the way that I'm talking about the channels. I'm talking about paid, owned, and earned um, rather than you know paid search, display ads. Like I'm talking about things at the holistic level because 
we as marketers really need to understand how each one of those channels are working throughout the funnel um, to pull prospects in, to pull customers in, and to retain those customers. Um, So from an attribution perspective, we use First Touch uh, as our attribution but we are not solely basing our decisions on on what the first touch attribution data is showcasing to us. We're looking at the journey that those customers have taken through a really robust UTM uh, tracking process that we've put in place uh, because of the partnership we've established with our RevOps team uh, in order to understand where those customers have been, where, sorry, where those prospects have been, and then scoring them up accordingly based off of the touch touch points that they've had with our with our assets to get them over to the sales team within a timely fashion. And the different channels that are at play each have different influence, different leads, uh, different scoring qualities uh, that we're attributing to those individual contacts in order to help us understand their place in the decision-making process. And there's rarely things that a marketer loves more than scoring, maybe new tools. Marketers love new tools, but, um, but, you know, I was talking to my head of demand gen earlier today about scoring and we've got a, a fairly elaborate one that includes behavioral and demographic and, and particular things, you know, and, and, but, but how much is too much in your mind, right? You have a very clear v- vision of, of, of what your customers look like. And I would imagine the journey you want to take them on. How do you think about scoring? Yeah, for sure. So from, well, from a tool perspective, I'm a firm believer in, in less is more. So I actually, in the two and a half years I've been at Ruby, I've actually removed most of the tech and I don't think I've introduced any new tech. And I can introduce you to my head of RobOps to um, ensure that that answer You is are among a very small <laughs> group, a cohort of marketers that thinks that way. There's, there's always there's, something new. Yeah, there is there is too much tech and I I removed the tech and and made sure that the processes were working properly first. Um and now we're now we're just starting to be at a place where we could potentially introduce new tech if it made sense. Um but I I honestly believe that that is part of the challenge is that we're we have so many Marketers are marketed to so much um, that we have so many cool, shiny objects at our fingertips that promise the world and at the end of the day don't necessarily deliver the results and or um, require so much um, integration in order to actually achieve those results that by the time you get them up and running properly, the subject matter expert potentially is gone. Uh, so <laughs> I like to make sure that that we stay as um, light as possible so that we can move as quickly as possible through, through our, our tech stack. With regards to lead scoring, you know, I think that the lead scoring, you need to you need to have an active conversation with your sales team as well as with your you know customer success team in order to understand and product marketing uh, in order to understand exactly what values are are indicators that this person is is a Ruby person, that this person is is right for your your business. And so getting a really good 
grasp on the industries, the sub-industries, if you can get down to that level, the you know size of the business, the any it, do the demographics really matter? Do titles really matter? Do the things that we add into our form fields really matter to to indicate that this person is going to be a buyer and is going to stick with this business? And once you narrow down um, those indicators, it actually is quite a small list. And so, how do you? juxtapose the data that you need from the buyer with the information that you're getting from uh, from the lead source itself, as well as the information that you can get automated through a a proper UTM um, tracking system that you can marry all of that information and deliver a a really uh, robust lead scoring system that doesn't paralyze you. And I think that if uh, if you really like look at those indicators, they're really most likely under under 10 um, in, in most businesses cases that you need to gather in order to understand what that lead score should be. It, all, it just seems so simple when you say it out loud. <laughs> well, it's not to say the 10 probably has a few different you know, a few different uh, caveats within each of those categories, but the categories themselves, those those parent ca- level categories, if you will, um, they, they probably aren't that many. And then they have a few children underneath and you need to make those decisions on the children. But the parent situation should allow you to figure out those, those, big, those big, big lead score numbers. Yep. Exactly. So when you think about retention, how yep. do you... Um, how do you continue the conversation, right? Once someone has converted and they've begun, I would imagine you've got very discrete things as you look at them in, in particular uh, windows, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, yeah. things like that, where they where they pass along. How do you think about your overall uh, retention strategy um, in line with, with you know, sort of the experience that you had to bring them into the door? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and one that um, I've spent a lot of time with our team kind of uncovering, you know, Ruby has a really unique service offering. Uh, we are a, uh, you know, a, a technology company that has a huge human component to it as our, our frontline team members are, are humans answering our customers' calls on a, on a regular basis, on a daily basis. Our retention play uh, has traditionally been in a one-to-one scenario where we have customer success managers following up and supporting our customers one-to-one. Well, we have 14,000 customers. It's really hard to it's scale. a lot of CSMs. <laughs> it is a lot of CSMs. And it's really hard to scale. And so one of those things that we we introduced um, while I've been here at Ruby, my team member Heather Blackwell created this 30, 60, 90-day journey in alignment with a woman named um, Jennifer Sullivan on our customer success team. She's a, our director of customer success. And the two of them worked together to really uncover what touch points made sense from a human perspective versus a automated perspective versus an in-app perspective and mapped out that 90-day journey with I'd say probably about 25 different touch points along the way. 25 different in some way put places gates 
for those customers to get by. If they use this feature, then then we can help them introduce them to this next feature. Or if they haven't used this feature, here's what we need to do to triage this situation. If they're at a point where, you know, at the eight day mark, if they we do a check-in to make sure that they're, um, they, they see the value of Ruby and we showcase to them how many phone calls we've answered on their behalf, how many leads they've had, and, and how many robocalls we've blocked in order to make sure that we're delivering that value and staying in alignment with their needs as a business owner. We are constantly making sure that that retention those retention touch points are demonstrating the value of, of Ruby along the way. So that 30, 60, 90 day journey was a big overhaul and a big undertaking in allowing us to, you know, really shine a light on why retention mattered so much for, for Ruby. In addition, we are constantly working with our customer success team in order to understand where there's churn challenges, when and where um, we can introduce touch points along the way in order to support um, their their churn challenges. So, for instance, um, just recently, we've been having some uh, some issues with cancellations and making sure that um, those cancellations are um, being serviced properly. And as whole slew of our cancellations are actually as a result of credit cards expiring and or credit cards having insufficient funds. Well, I don't know about you, but that doesn't seem like they're ready to cancel from Ruby. They just have a challenge with their credit card. And so how can we reach out in both an automated way via the app, via email, as well as by a human way in order to um, make sure that we're retaining that customer and not having to go back through a situation where we're having to reacquire, re-onboard, and rebring on that customer as a net new ad versus just retaining them outright. It almost seems like a complete validation of their need for Ruby that they're, they're so administratively <laughs> frazzled that they can't keep keep up with their card expiration. Exactly, exactly. You can feed that back into your scoring model. No extra. <laughs> Sounds good. I will so, do that. Uh, well, you've been fabulously generous with your time. I um I could sit and talk marketing nerdness with you for hours, but um I'll leave you with the last question, and this is the same I use for everybody. When when the day is over and you're uh, you have a free moment, what do you like to listen to? Oh, what do I list, like to listen to? Well, this weekend I went to see Ziggy Marley's concert and um, reggae has has reestablished itself back in the top of my list as a result of this weekend because I was so zen and chill after listening to him on Sunday night and I um, I am definitely in, in the reggae mood. Um, outside of just recently going to see Ziggy Marley, I'd say AJR is, is top on my list as well as all things Disney because I have a um, six-year-old and a 10-year-old. So all of the Disney songs, including Zombies 3, are in my head constantly. Oh, lucky you. Lucky <laughs> you. Well, Ari, you've been great. You, you deserve all your success and I uh, wish you all the best. Well, it was great to meet you today, Paul. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with me. I really enjoyed the conversation with Laura and here are some of my key takeaways from the discussion. First, Focus on the right customer, not all of the customers. At Ruby, the team is constantly analyzing retention-related data in order to understand the customer lifecycle and to make data-driven decisions about their acquisition marketing strategy. They operate the way all SaaS businesses should, 
recognizing that acquiring new customer has to be gaining customers that will stick around, attract the right customers from the start, rather than doing the old spray and pray approach. Second, although Ruby is crystal clear on their ideal customer, this doesn't mean they aren't consistently testing out new approaches to grow their addressable market. The company is very deliberate and controlled about the way they test new markets, which could mean building 15 pieces of highly targeted quality content rather than going full tilt and throwing 100 pieces at the wall to see what might stick. From there, the team is in a better position to see what's viable and expand effectively, or pull back and test out a new market based upon the information that they're seeing. Third, choose the right marketing channels. When it comes to communication, it doesn't matter how loud you're shouting if you're shouting at the wrong crowd. That's why the team at Ruby is intentional about the channels they choose, opting for ads on the radio, streaming outlets, and through specialized channels that are in line with their industry focus. This way, the team can be sure that they're reaching the right target audience in a way that speaks to them and their needs. And fourth, remember, tech is just a tool. Lara believes that today, technology has become a distraction for too many marketers, which is why she focuses on ensuring all the processes are functioning effectively before adding tech into the mix. As marketers, it's important that we avoid being distracted by the shiny new objects at our fingertips. They always promise the world, but at the end of the day, they may not deliver solid results. Instead, Lara recommends staying as light on your feet as possible so the whole team can move through the tech stack with quickness and agility. Thanks for listening to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look at some of the world's most effective transformation processes. If you like this episode, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Paul French, and I look forward to being with you next time. Transform It Forward is brought to you by Axway, who believes that in order to create the most value for customers, partners, and employees, you need to open everything by securely integrating and moving data across a complex world of old and new technologies.